Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to gather in your name in this place. I pray that you'd fill this room with your spirit and fill us with your spirit. Uh, help us to cleanse our vessels and confess our sins to you and uh, be, be willing to receive your word. Um, I hope that this message tonight that you've helped me prepare would go forward with power and, and speak to everybody in this room tonight, including me. There's all there, We all have a message we can receive here tonight, and uh, being in your word uh, is such a blessing tonight. We, we thank you for this time. Uh, we ask for, for your love. We ask for your comfort. We ask for your protection. We praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, open your Bibles to Psalm 103. In my Bible, we'll be examining a psalm of David that I think is one of the most beautiful expressions of that we can find in the Bible. Am I doing something wrong? All right. So, Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your, your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it and is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children. To such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments to do them. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, you his angels, who excel in strength and who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his who do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works. In all places of his dominion, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. The book of Psalms is one of the truly majestic pieces of biblical literature. It's a collection of 150 songs inspired by the Spirit of God. Some of these celebrate the history of the nation of Israel. Others pronounce severe judgments upon those who set themselves as enemies of Jehovah. There are psalms that are messianic in thrust. In other words, they point to the coming Messiah. 
Some psalms simply lift up, lift up a chorus of praise to the Creator, intellectually, emotionally, praise and worship. One author wrote about this Psalm 103, the writer David strains his entire being, everything that is within him, to express his feelings. He loves the Creator intellectually, emotionally, and practically. Have you ever been through a dark cloud of life, wherein your heart was wrenched with agony, finally then arriving at yonder shore, you find yourself so overwhelmed at thanksgiving and joy that you virtually weep for the lack of ability to adequately thank your sustainer? Such apparently was the emotion of the great king on this occasion as he wrote this psalm. Humans were created to be God-centered, but sin, it makes us self-centered. Worship alters our center. It moves us away from self and back to God. Eugene Peterson writes, Worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. Psalm 103 begins, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his name. And here's the key to worship. It's not how long you worship, how many songs you play, or how well you sing. It's not the duration of your worship or the quality of it, but it's the intensity. The outpouring of your entire soul toward God. Ask yourself, am I pouring out my soul and all that is within me? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Worship reaches down deep inside us. It clears out our hearts and our minds, our intellect and our passion and our emotion. And then it presents them up to God. Charles Spurgeon said this about this verse. All thy works praise thee, O God, but thy saints shall bless thee. Our very life and essential self should be engrossed with this delightful service. And each one of us should arouse his own heart to the engagement. Let, let others forbear if they can. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let others murmur, but you bless. Let others use only their tongues, but as for me, I will cry out. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Many are our faculties, emotions, capacities, but God has given them all to us, and they all ought to join in chorus to his praise. Have received unintentional praises are not such as we should render to our living Lord. If the law of justice demanded all our heart and soul and mind for the Creator, much more may the law of gratitude put in a comprehensive claim for the homage of our whole being to the grace of God. Spurgeon's got a good grasp on it, doesn't he? David says, Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. 
And what follows is God's benefit package, if you will. Kind of taking liberty with that, of course. When we look at at taking a job, we look at the benefit package. What kind of things are we getting along with this deal? God's covenant with his people was a one-sided covenant. It didn't rely on their perfect completion of the law, perfect fulfillment of the law. What is God giving us in this package, in this one-way deal? Here are the benefits of knowing God. In verse 3, who forgives all our sins, who heals all our diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like eagles. God forgives, he heals, and he redeems. He crowns with loving kindness and satisfies and renews. Isn't that an amazing list of benefits? Verse 3 continues. Who forgives all our sins. Actually, that's back at the beginning of verse 3. Because God promised Israel a Savior for the forgiveness of sin, David believed him. And we now have not just the promise but the living Savior, Jesus, who died on the cross of Calvary and rose from the dead, we have the fulfillment of that promise. Because we have testimony of both the promise and the witness of the fulfillment of that promise in this book that we hold in our hands. Because of that, forgiveness of all sins is offered through faith. Believe God, trust in the Son, and be forgiven. Now, one thing in verse 3 I don't want to stumble us over uh, or trip on. The portion of that verse that says, Who heals all your diseases. God promised Old Testament Israel immunity from disease. Let's turn in our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 7. That's Deuteronomy 7. Keep your finger in Psalm 103 because we'll be back if you haven't already lost it. (laughs) Deuteronomy 7, verse 12, starting in verse 12, going through verse 15, it starts, it starts out. Then it shall come to pass because you listen to the judgments and keep them and do them that the Lord, your God will keep you with love. Excuse me. will keep you the covenant and mercy, which he swore to your fathers, and he will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land, your grain, your new wine and your oil, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flock and the land of which he swore to your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be a male or female barren among you or among your livestock. And the Lord will take away from all you from you all sickness and will afflict you with none of the terrible diseases of Egypt, which you have known, but will lay them all on those who hate you. So these are some pretty lofty promises from God to his people, uh, Israel. Uh, He made these promises to Israel that he never made to the church. We are the church, the body of the church. The promises I just read to you from Deuteronomy were made to his people, Israel, at a specific time, And at a specific place. These were not promises to the church. God's promises, God promises the church spiritual health. And at times God heals us physically. 
but literally disease-free living is not a component of New Testament benefits. Just understand that. One day when we get to heaven, God will heal our diseases. If you pray for healing here, you'll be healed. God is faithful to that, but it may not be in this lifetime. It may be in the next. God decides that when it happens, where it happens, and to whom that happens. Right now, we're subject to the same germs as the guy next door. Best we can do is pray. God, will you heal me? And sometimes he does. No, it's more likely that this verse, these, these verses are speaking not of physical healing, but of spiritual healing. These verses in Psalm 103. Spiritual healing. God does that within us as he sustains us. He resurrects us from the dead. He sanctifies us. That's the healing that verse 3 is speaking of back in Psalm 103. Charles Spurgeon said this, Two blessings of this verse the psalmist was personally enjoying. He sang not of others but of himself, or rather of his Lord, who was daily forgiving and healing him. He must have known that it was so, or he could not have sung of it. He had no doubt about it. He left his soul. He felt in his soul dyslexia there. He felt in his soul that it was so. And therefore he bade his pardoned and restored soul bless the Lord with all his might. Who redeems your life from destruction? Verse 4. The sum total of our righteous works outside of Christ are worthless. According to Isaiah 64, verse 6, it reads, But we're all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness, righteousness, righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, our sins, like the wind, have taken us away. Romans tells us that what we earn by sinning is death. But God, through Jesus' work on the cross, has offered us redemption for all our sins. We're offered eternal life in him instead of the destruction and death and hell. Verse 4, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Loving kindness and tender mercies, they're crowns from God. These are not crowns of glory but crowns of his glory. Of our, they're not crowns of our glory. They're crowns of his glory, which he lovingly lays on our heads as his children. They're his crowns, his glory, and our blessing. That word love, loving kindness here is a Hebrew word that I'm going to attempt to pronounce correctly. <laughs> Chased in Hebrew. Is that right, Bruce? Chesed. Close. Make note of that word. We'll hear it again tonight. Verse 5. Who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. 
Only God's mercy and grace can bring true satisfaction. These are the good things spoken of here. All other things we might consume lose their attraction over time. We always want the next thing. We spend much of our lives looking for the next thing we can obtain that might satisfy us or make us feel better. But nothing ever does that for long. Nothing in the world satisfies and renews us like God's mercy and his grace. So that your, your youth is renewed like eagles. Matthew Henry says, uh, says of this statement, He has given thee prospect and pledge of long life. Thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The eagle is long lived, and as a naturalist say, when he is nearly a hundred years old, he casts, she casts all her feathers, and fresh ones come, so that she becomes young again. When God, by the graces and comforts of his spirit, recovers his people from their decays and fills them with new life and joy, which is to them an earnest or a deposit of eternal life and joy. Then they may say, then they may be said to return to the days of their youth. Verse six is, verses six and seven tell us the Lord executes his righteousness and justice for those who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel. The word executes here is the Hebrew word asa, which means to do, to fashion, or to accomplish. It's first used in Genesis 1-7, and I'll read that. Thus God made asa, the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. God made the firmament, asa. Since Scripture interprets Scripture based on this context, here's how we can read verse 6 as well. The Lord fashions righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He fashions their righteousness for them. It's not the oppressed who fashion righteousness and justice. They're incapable of it. It's God who does that work. We know that, but we keep forgetting. And we want to do it ourselves. So we need to be reminded. Verse 7, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. Moses sat in God's classroom. He was privy to the teacher's thought process. He knew God's ways. Whereas Israel, they were out in the playground. All they knew was the acts of God, the things God did. They witnessed those, but they didn't understand why. God wants us, like Moses, to know his motives and not just his movements. That's why he gave us this, to know his motives. You know, it's interesting in verse 8, I just skipped ahead. (laughs) Uh, He says in verses 8 and 9, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us nor keep his anger forever. That's the New King James Version. You know, it's interesting in verse 8 how God uses mercy twice. Mercy and merciful. As I was reading this, I kind of wondered why. I mean, if you're merciful... Don't you naturally have mercy? Aren't you normally giving out mercy? 
I think so. Um, but as I examined this verse in Hebrew, I discovered that it was not the same word, not even close. Merciful here is the word rachum. I probably butchered that. Rachum. It's used only 13 times in the New Testament, and it's always speaking of God's nature. It all, it's always used in God, God's context of God being merciful and compassionate in his nature. Mercy here, on the other hand, is, is the noun kased. Probably also butchered that one. I apologize. The word is used 248 times in the Old Testament. It's used in a variety of contexts, for the first one of which being, can you guess it? Mercy. You can laugh at that. Come on. <laughs> it does mean mercy. Mercy means mercy. This mercy does. It's also used as kindness, loving kindness, goodness, favor, and a few others. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. That's the King James Version. The NIV reads, He will not always accuse us, nor will he harbor his anger forever. The liberal, uh, the, excuse me, the literal Hebrew rendition reads, He will not bring a court case against me. In other words, God will not stand me up and accuse me. But there is an accuser. Accusation is not a part of God's agenda for us. That's Satan's business. Revelation 12 says of Satan, For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night. And we all know what it's like to have accusations fly at us, whether they're true or not. We know what it feels like. But every time Satan accuses us, even in spite of the truth of the accusations, Jesus is right there by our side as our advocate, as if he's our attorney in a court proceeding, interceding for us on our behalf. Jesus, our advocate to the Father. Satan accuses you and says, you're not obedient enough. You can't make it. And he reminds God of all the things that you've done or things that you haven't done when you should have. Then Jesus steps forward and says, that's an accurate assessment, Father. But I have fulfilled the law. And I paid for those sins on the cross. Then the judge slams his gavel. Says, case dismissed. Or more appropriately, innocent of all charges. Reminds me of the comfort that I get when I consider that even Paul had a thorn, just as we all do. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Keep your finger in 103 or pen. Second Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. 
Take note of what Paul says in that very first portion of that verse. And lest I should be exalted above measure. Exalted by whom, most likely? Himself. Can you imagine the pride of a man being exposed and taught directly by Christ himself, risen from the dead, ascended to heaven? The revelations that he's being taught by God? A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me lest I be exalted above measure. We all have that certain something, sometimes more than one maybe, that one thing that draws us to our flesh towards sin. Paul goes on to say, Certainly, uh, concerning this thing I pled with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. How often do we cry out, Lord, please don't test me. I'm so weak. I'll fail. Then the advocate Jesus steps up and says to us all, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. His strength, not ours. Then Paul concludes in these verses, And so should we as well, the same conclusion. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distress, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, Paul says, then I am strong. Because we're in Christ. We can't do it in our own. We go to him. Why take pleasure in these trials and testings and even the, the failures? Because they're the refining fire of God. We're being sanctified and purified. When we come through these trials with our faith intact, we're being sanctified. Trust in God, not in yourself. We're weak, but he's strong. Now, if you did get what you deserve, and if you were to get your wages, oh, Jumped ahead again. Let's turn back. Turn back to Psalm 103, page 690. I'll keep using that since you guys are laughing. (laughs) Verse 10. He says, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. That's good news, right? Aren't you glad about that? Amen. Because who would survive if he had? He's saying you don't get what you deserve. Now, if you did get what you deserve, and if you were good, if you were to get the wages of what you've earned, you'd be dead. We'd all be dead. Romans 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. The wages of sin is death. That's what you deserve. But God is not rewarding you according to your iniquities. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's kindness and compassion toward his people is totally uncaused and unearned by his people. It's nothing that you deserve. 
It's nothing that you and I can work for. God's blessing on us, it's not contingent on we who receive the gift in any way. It's entirely contingent upon him. God's ability to bless you lies totally in his character. That he is gracious and he blesses you without your deserving it. The full understanding of this is laid out more clearly in the New Testament. Keep your finger in Psalm 103. We're going to move again. Let's go to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. Um, you can count from Galatians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. We're going to Ephesians chapter 2. Remember, keep your hand in Psalm 103. Ephesians chapter 2. Cotton mouth up here. Chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Saved by grace. Where does grace come from? It comes from God. Saved through faith. Where does faith come from? It comes from God. It's a gift of God, not of ourselves. Nothing that we do earns our salvation. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now turn to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, be in verse 28. Therefore, we conclude. It's a conclusion. This is the final answer. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Justified by faith apart from deeds. We can't do it. It's God who does the work. Remember our works. Isaiah 64 says they're like filthy rags. They mean nothing to the Lord. They're worthless. Only in him can we work to satisfy and justify him or or to be justified by him. This is the doctrine in the New Testament of justification. Justification by faith. Faith alone. By grace alone. Faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. So now go back to Romans 5. We're in 3. Let's go to 5. Verse 18. Paul writes, Therefore, as one man's offense, judgment came to all men. As through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. The offense spoken of here, Adam's original sin in the garden. Eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The righteous act here is the work of Jesus what he did on the cross of Calvary, Calvary, 
Here's an easy way to remember justification. Probably more of you know this than, than not. I just learned it, so I think it's cool. God treats me just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. Raise your hand if you knew that. I'm not getting many reactions here. (laughs) I need help. Come on. Just as if I'd never sinned, even though I have. And if if I'm in Christ Jesus, this is how God chooses to treat me. He treats me just like he would his only son. This is a great benefit of being in Christ. That he doesn't deal with us according to our sins. And if you're in Christ, he deals with you the same way. Now you all know me. If I'm out there opening the door and welcoming you in, somebody asks me, how you doing? What am I likely to say? Better than I deserve. No, I got that from Dave Ramsey is where the first time I heard that. Uh, but I love it because that's, that's the essence of it. I'm better than I deserve. I deserve death. I'm a sinner. I deserve death. Christ took the cross for me. I don't deserve life, but he's given me everlasting life. Even though I don't deserve it. So it's true because of justification. I'm better than I deserve. I'm such a sinner. Yet because of what Jesus did on the cross, because he took the penalty for my sins upon himself, because he he became sin for me. Now God deals with me as if I'd never sinned. He treats me as a son. He deals with us who are in Christ as if we had never sinned. As a son or daughter, praise God and thank you, Lord. Remember that if you're in Christ, you're justified. Instead of focusing on the guilt and the remorse of our sins, focus on the loving kindness, the goodness, the long-suffering, and the mercy and the grace of God. Get your eyes on God. Put your hands to the plow. Stop looking back. Accept the gift of grace. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his book, Spiritual Depression, says this. As we face the modern world with all its trouble and turmoil and with all its difficulties and sadness, nothing is more important than we who call ourselves Christians, than that we who call ourselves Christians and who claim the name of Christ should be representing our faith in such a way before others as to give them the impression that here's the solution. Here's the answer. In a world where everything has gone so sadly astray, we should be standing out as men and women apart. People characterized by fundamental joy and certainty in spite of the conditions, in spite of the adversity. Martin Lloyd-Jones. All right, back to our text. Psalm 103, page 690. It's getting less and less laughter every time. Psalm 103. And uh, we're back in verse 11, so 
as, as that reads, For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And notice that David doesn't say, as far as the north is from the south. You've all probably heard this. But aren't we glad that it's not north and south? Because think about it. You can go north for a period to a point. But then once you reach that point, every direction you go is going south. So it's finite. Unless you're a flat earther. But the earth is round. There's a limit between north and south. But what the verse says is that it's as far as the east is from the west. Think about it. You can go east forever and ever and ever. You can go west forever and ever and ever and never meet the east. If you go east, you never meet the west. You just keep going. He has removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. Think about the impact of that. Hebrews 8.12 says, For I will be merciful to the unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless needs. I will remember no more. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. In Christ, our sin is gone once and for all and forever. Unreachable and forgotten. It's when we come through the fire of tribulation in our lives that we can truly understand how great a gift this gift of grace really is. The trials give us hope for the future and a testing, a refinement of our faith. From them we receive an unshakable foundation on which to plant our feet as the next trial approaches. He says in verse 13 and 14, As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. And this next is so comforting. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. What is our frame? It's our flesh. The flesh we carry around and that we walk around in. Our weak and sinful flesh. Remember he made us. He knows how weak our frames are. How swiftly we're drawn to sin. How easily it entangles us. We tend to expect more of ourselves. More than we have a right to expect. We pridefully think our frames are more than just dust. I'm something. Peter said that. Peter said, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Pride. Oh, man. Who hasn't done this, though? If you raise your hand, you need to repent. <laughs> who, do, who hasn't had pride like this? Not me, Lord. No way. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be good. If you, haven't said, if you haven't said it, you will. So it's when our pride says, I've got this, Lord. 
I'm strong enough. I can weather this storm. Just watch me. That's when we get to that point, we've got to watch out. If you say, uh, uh, <laughs> the real test comes from the other side, and you never saw it coming. No, we need to abide in him. It's only in him that our flesh has a chance to stand. We can be worshiping one moment and then be overcome by envy and covetousness when we hear something good that that happened to our neighbor. Or we can be overcome with lust when that handsome guy or or that beautiful girl walks by. Like that. Or overcome with jealousy when we look over at the plate of our brother or sister. We compare our plate with theirs when we look at their gifts and compare them to ours. When we look at our trials in comparison to their easy life. When we look at our blessings and compare them to theirs. Keep your eyes on God. Stop looking at that plate over there. That's not your plate. God doesn't do that for you. He does this. Focus on him. We can be faithfully praying and then turn on the TV and watch the news. We become so frustrated with hate that we fuss and fume over the way the world's become. We can be driving along peacefully, listening to worship songs and praising the Lord. But when that one driver cuts us off, we become like the enemy. Our frame, our flesh is so weak The sin comes so swiftly and so naturally to us. Sweep the floor. Empty out your vacuum and dump it out. That will remind you how frail and fleeting you are. The funeral message, ashes to ashes and dust to dust, pretty much sums this one up. God knows that we're nothing but a pile of dust, and yet he loves us. He pities us. He's full of compassion toward us. Think about that. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. When we sin, when we fail, if not, or not if, but when, when we fail, when we go off beating ourselves up after that happens, we have such high and lofty opinions of ourselves. Not me, Lord, right? We expect so much of ourselves that we forget who we are and we think we're something when we're but dust. And we need to be reminded. But understand that God doesn't give up on you. He knows your frame. He remembers your dust. And God works with dust. Think about it. You know what happens when you pour a little bit of water in a pile of dust? You get clay. And what can you do with clay? You can mold it. You can work with it. And so what happens when the living water of the Holy Spirit of God gets poured out into these little dust balls that we call bodies? What happens then? We become like holy clay that the master can work with and mold and form. And we become image bearers of Christ. Continue asking the Lord to fill you with his spirit especially in times of trial. Walk in the Spirit and not in your flesh. Let God do His work in you. 
and for you and through you. So verse 15 to 18 tells us, as, uh, as for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it's gone, and its place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those who remember his commandments and do them. God's mercy is forever on those who fear him. Fear here means reverent respect. It's not the fight or flight kind of fear. The phrases keep his covenant and remember his commandments, they speak of obedience, which naturally follows a reverent respect of God. In Psalm 90, David says, So teach us the number of our days. To number our days. A heart of wisdom. That heart of wisdom. Speaks of taking advantage of the time that God is. Being diligent to remember his commands. And to do them. And what's to gain by doing it. By doing these things. That we may gain a heart of wisdom. Wisdom is what we gain. Wisdom comes from God alone. Proverbs 13, you can turn there if you want, we're, uh, we're pretty close. Put your finger in 103. Proverbs 13. <clears throat> Verse 4. The soul of the lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent Shall be made rich. Please notice what's being spoken of here. It's not physical. It's spiritual. This is not a name it and claim it type verse. There's no prosperity gospel here. It's a contrast between the soul of the lazy man and the soul of the diligent. How can our souls be made rich if we're not diligent? In our spiritual walk with God. How? They can't. Go to Matthew. Chapter 24. Matthew 24. We'll be in verse 45. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is the servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all, thing, all of his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This phrase, gnashing of teeth, is used seven times in the New Testament. 
Six of these times are in Matthew. There's one in Luke. It's most frequently used in conjunction with the evil servant being thrown into the furnace of fire or into outer darkness. Gnashing of teeth. Take note of where that occurs. Notice the nature of the words Jesus uses in this verse to describe the different servants. One is faithful and wise. That brings to mind the saying, well done, good and faithful servant, doesn't it? From a proverb in Matthew. While the other is evil and lazy and oppressive to the others. The Hebrew word used here for evil is kakos. I believe I got that right. It means wrong, wicked, and depraved. If we walk through our days in our flesh and in our own strength and relying on our own frame, we will be like the evil servant. But if we're diligent, if we walk in the spirit daily, if we deny our flesh, then he will make us faithful. He will make us wise. Ephesians 5:15 and 16 read, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Remember that all wisdom comes from God. Be diligent, be reverent, be obedient. Test yourselves. Examine yourselves. One scripture tells us, Number your days. They're like grass and they pass by so quickly. Be diligent so that your soul will be made rich. Finally, let's go back to Psalm 103 again. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. From everlasting to everlasting. It's permanent. It's forever. Praise God for that. Verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, you angels who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding his voice, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you hosts, you ministers of his who do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. David goes through the roll call here. Summoning up all of creation to praise and worship God. He goes from strong to weak. He starts with the angels and then the servants of the Lord and then the works. And then he says to his own soul, bless the Lord, O my soul and all that is within me. There's never too much praise for the Lord. This psalm speaks about God's compassion, God's mercy, God's covenant love for Israel Because God is compassionate and because he is merciful, it only makes sense that because we are his children, that we should be what? Compassionate, merciful, loving, forgiving. Remember, we're the image bearers of Christ. One pastor said, when God took the children out of Israel, excuse me, when God took the children of Israel out of Egypt, he said, because, because you were slaves in a land not your own, and you were oppressed for hundreds of years, and you know what it's like to be a slave, you remember to treat the stranger who was in your camp very well. 
Don't oppress them. Don't bring them into bondage. It's like, don't lord it over them like the Egyptians did to you. Have compassion and be merciful to the stranger. Be kind because we have been shown mercy. God tells us to be merciful. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Some of the least merciful people we might ever meet can sometimes be church people. We've all met them. Let not that be said of us here in this body. God help us to never set a standard of outward appearance and call that holiness. Be merciful, brothers and sisters in Christ. I'll leave you with one last verse. Micah 6.8, and then we'll pray. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, chesed, and to walk humbly with your God. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you tonight for the opportunity and the honor, the blessing to teach in front of this group of people who love you, to uh, witness your word going forth and changing each of our lives individually, touching our hearts. I pray that these words have touched each individual one of us here with conviction, with encouragement, that we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers. I pray for all these people who have come to church tonight to worship you, to be with you, to gather in your name. I pray that you bless us all and and protect us on our way home. Encourage us and help us to walk in in the spirit, in your spirit. Ask ask for renewing fillings of the spirit as we go throughout our week, not reacting in the flesh. Worshiping you, with all of our being, all that is within within us. We thank you for this tremendous Psalm 103 on page 690. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.